0: Friends, it is good to be back together after a little bit of a break. Uh, hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving holidays, ate lots of good food, spent time with friends and family. And um, as we turn the corner into December, now we move away from Thanksgiving and we move full on into the Christmas season, which just happens to be my most favorite time of the year. Anyone with me? Any, anyone? With, yeah, it's like, man, how can you not? You know, like, how can you not love the season? Now, unfortunately, our time to enjoy the season is short-lived because, uh, as you already heard in the announcements, this is our last Sunday service, which means that this is really our only opportunity to celebrate Christmas together. In fact, I was tempted to bring in candles and have a candlelight service and just, you know, I think, silent night and have our sort of pre-Christmas Eve candlelight service, but the hub says something about open flames and Freeman Auditorium not being okay, so whatever. So it's, so we're having communion in place of that, and uh, we'll, we'll enjoy our time together. We're going to celebrate Christmas today for our last gathering here. We, we already sang some Christmas songs. We, we're going to spend a few moments reflecting on the first coming of Christ. Now the only thing we're missing is some Christmas cookies and hot cocoa, but I hear there's a table full of spread out there, and so you feel free to grab some food on your way out. Also, uh, if you want some Christmas cookies, uh, the Savage Bakery is open on Saturday. Okay, oh, we're gonna have that open house as you heard in the announcements. Come on by, enjoy some some cookies, some some quality time with some friends. So it's just some chill time before the final week uh, mayhem kicks off, and so we'd love to see you there. But for now. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn over with me to the Gospel of John. If you have a smartphone or some sort of device, you can open up to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be spending our time here this morning. As you're finding your place in John, I ought to let you know just ahead of time that John's gospel, the passage that we're going to look at today, does not have the traditional nativity story that the other gospel writers give an account of. And so if, if you're hoping for a message about the baby Jesus laying in a manger or the wise men and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Today, we're not going to look at the specificities of that story. But John captures the essence of the, that first Christmas in a way that I think is so deeply profound. And as, as much as I love nostalgia, I love the nostalgia of the season. I love all the feels of Christmas season and everything that it makes me feel on the inside. As much as I love nostalgia, I love practicality even more. In other words, I don't want to just get caught up in the nostalgia of, ah, it's Christmas, you know, the lights, the tinsels, the glitter, all of that. Like I, Instead of getting caught up in all of that, I want to know, why does this season matter to me? Why does this season matter to you. What is this? What are the practical implications of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ? And I believe John 1 gives us a a window into that reality. So I'm going to invite Miranda back up here to read today's passage for us. And so go ahead and and open up to John chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 1 and read through to verse 18.
1: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made was made. In him was life, and the life that was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He was made known to him.
0: Thank you, Miranda. Friends, there are certain sayings in life that I think we tend to rush past them without giving them much of a second thought. Uh, These are common sayings that carry a significant amount of weight But because we rush past them, we don't really stop and consider what these words actually mean. But if we actually pause to think about and ponder those words, it would actually impress upon our souls a little bit differently. Let me give you an example here. The phrase, I love you. I love you. Three common words that are uttered amongst friends. Some of you say it to each other. Uh, Family members, uh, husbands and wives, parent to a child, child to a parent, I love you. I I remember when I was in the dating scene long, long ago, long, 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 long time ago. uh, It was was a big deal when you uttered these three words, these three simple words. I love you was like an atomic bomb that you dropped on your relationship because all of a sudden you utter those three words and what happens? That relationship all of a sudden catapults to a whole other level, right? Like it's like, we said the L word. We said it. I love you. Like this, it's a big deal. And that's because those words actually mean something. But in many ways, we have become overly familiarized with those words. And I'm not saying that's a terrible thing, but that's just the reality of the situation. We say, I love you with great familiarity. And sometimes when we hear those words being uttered, maybe, just maybe, it doesn't land on our souls quite the same way it once may have. Or how about this one? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Another three common words that are spoken in moments of not flowery love and and, and blossoming love, but in moments of conflict, in moments of great frustration or, or where there's a relational breakdown of sorts. Three common words that are shared in moments like that. In fact, there have been moments in my marriage where uh, Nicole and I would be in an argument, a pretty heated argument, and I know we, it seems like we've got a perfect marriage. you know like I know it seems like that, but, but we get into these shouting matches, these arguments, and, and one of us would inevitably come to this moment where it, we, we come to that moment of apology and we say, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." Now, there have been moments when Nicole would come to that place where she would say... i'm so sorry now i'm not proud to say this but i've had moments where my response to that sort of apology was oh no you're not no you're not you know like i'm still heated up man i'm still fired up and she comes to this place and she's i'm so sorry i'm like whatever i know what a jerk right like no no you're not you're not really sorry and then she she pushed it she said no 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 really really i'm so sorry And I would pause there and and really take in those words in spite of all the red that I'm seeing, in spite of the boiling emotions. And it would occur to me in that moment, wow, she really means this. There's weight behind those words. I'm so sorry. Can I give you another set of three common words, another common saying we might hear? God became man. God became man. Now, it's not common in the way that you hear it 365 days of the year every day, but but during this particular part of the year, this season of the year, we hear this sentiment being expressed quite often. God became man. In fact, we hear it in our Christmas carols and songs during the season, don't we? I mean, we may not, again, hear those exact words verbatim, God became man, but don't we hear that message being woven throughout the songs that are heard during the season, or whether it's on your Spotify or whether it's in church or wherever, you might hear these songs. In fact, we sang some of them this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. What does that mean? It means that God became man. Jesus to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. God became man. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead seen. hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. God became man. Come to Bethlehem and see Christ whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Well, friends, would you say it with me this morning. God became man. One more time. God became man. Man, we are flooded with this message during the season, but have you ever paused? Paused long enough, similar to how we paused after the singing time before the message. Just take a pause and breathe deeply. Have you ever paused to really ponder what those three words actually mean? Have you considered the weightiness behind those words, God became man? You see, if you were to sum up the opening verses of John chapter 1, the passage we just read, the passage we just heard. You can very easily say that John's core message to the world, his Christmas anthem of sorts, his, his carol that he was singing and shouting from the rooftops was very simply this: God became man. And this morning, I want to suggest to you a few quick things that the statement communicates to us. A few quick things that this statement suggests to us. God became man. The first is this: God Always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And you could put a period on that because there's no end, there's no and buts to that. God always, always keeps his promises. When we hear the statement that God became man, that is what you're hearing is actually an affirmation of a God who always keeps his promises. And that's because all throughout scripture we see this promise.
1: We heard it earlier.
0: Uh, Emily read one of those uh, passages earlier. We see this promise of a coming Messiah who would eventually save the world from sin and death. Let me just reference a few. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, this prophecy is referenced yet again. Isaiah chapter 9, we heard it earlier. Verse 6, For to us a child is born. us son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now let me remind you these words were spoken long before that first Christmas night ever came to be. Long before those nativity pretty nativity scenes that we have set up on our mantles, at our homes, our, at our tables, like long before any of those moments came to be. Over 700 years before Jesus would even step foot on the scene, we hear promises like this being made. Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord. Shall shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord can I give you one more Micah chapter 5 verse 2 but you O Bethlehem Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old from ancient of days now all of this friends All of this is talking about the Messiah, King Jesus. And lo and behold, you fast forward 700 somewhat years later, what do we find? In Matthew chapter 1, the king is born. Fast forward 700 years somewhat later, what do you find? The ruler out of Bethlehem, as Micah prophesied, is here. The shoot from the stump of Jesse is born. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel is here with us. God always keeps his promises. Now sometimes it might take 700 years. Sometimes it might take seven days. We don't always know when God will fulfill and come through on his promises, but what we do know is that when God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. When God makes a promise to you and to me, he will fulfill it. And you want to know what that means for you and for me? That means that every promise that God made to you through his word, he will make it come to pass if there's anything that this this phrase, God became man, and because we understand that God became man is our, our present reality, it means that we have a God who actually fulfills all the prophecies that have been uttered in the Old Testament has come to pass. If we can know that to be true, we can know that every promise that he's made in this book to you, he will fulfill. He will fulfill. Can, can I just can I just give you, uh, this is a, just a, a, a spattering of, of a couple of these promises. Psalm 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. By the way, this is not just descriptive. It's not just describing the kind of God, the kind of love that God has. This is God's promise made to you and to me. And his faithfulness will last to all generations that extends to you and to me. Listen to the promise made in Isaiah chapter 40. But though they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Many of us know the promise found in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans to prosper you, to give you hope, not, not, to, not to harm you, to give you future, right? Like we know that verse, Jeremiah 29, but have you heard Jeremiah 29, 12? It says, then you will call upon me, and pray to me, and I will hear you. I will hear you. Verse 13, and he goes on, and God says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Some of you here are, you're here at Penn State, and you're, you're in search for, for God, you're in search for truth. You're in search for to grow in your faith and grow further in your knowledge of God. The promise of Scripture says when you search Him with all your heart, He will be found. We don't know when, we don't know every time, we don't know if, if at every moment you open up your Bible and you sit down for your quiet time, boom, heaven's going to open up and, and the dove will fall upon you like, like Jesus' baptism. We don't know how it will show up, we don't know when it will show up, but we know that it will show up. God always keeps his promises. A similar promise found in 2 Chronicles 7 is, if my people who are called by my name, that's you and me, church, that's all of us, okay? If you are a professing follower of Jesus, this is talking about you. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what's the promise? Here it is. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There are tons of promises just like this in Scripture. And we haven't even touched the New Testament. Studies show that Jesus alone, Jesus alone had made over 8,000 different promises. 8,000 different promises in the Gospels alone, in the four opening books in your New Testament. That's not even touching the epistles, the pastoral epistles, Pauline's epistles, or Peter's epistles. We're not even touching any of those promises. We're touching on just a couple in Scripture. Friends, we have a God who always keeps His word, So you can take great confidence in knowing that if God promised it to you, He will fulfill it for you. If God promised it, He will fulfill it. And He proved that to us by becoming man for us, the greatest promise fulfilled. God became man shows us the second truth, and that is this. Hope is alive even in the darkest of night. Hope is alive even in the darkest of night. Oh God, would you help us be convinced of that reality even here right now? That hope is alive even in the darkest of night. Hope is a powerful force, isn't it? When we really think about it, hope is powerful when you have it. But what about when you don't? When you don't have hope, it's tragically devastating. Like when you have hope, you can go on and on no matter how hard things might get, or no matter how hard things might seem, you got. I remember when I, I remember when I ran my first, really, and my only half marathon. I had just started running, and I was getting into running. And I, th- I said, I did. I, I had a couple of five Ks under my belt. And I said, okay, I, I think I'm, re- I think I'm ready to graduate to the big boy league, right? Like, so maybe not full, you know, twenty six point two marathon, but like, let me start out with a half, okay? Let me, let me, let me run a half and see what that's about. I remember it was a grueling process. In fact I remember on race day, you know, I ran and I felt pretty good, man. I felt like man, you know, this is like this is a piece of cake, you know, like and I got to mile around mile ten or eleven or twelve, like somewhere in that sort of three mile window. My legs just felt like jello. My core was, my back was hurting. My, like, my, I, everything in my body was screaming, just stop, just stop, right? Like, and, I, and with every runner that was running past me, I said to myself, you know, it'd just be easy for me to just, just, just pull the plug, you know, just stop here. I, like, let me just walk the rest of the way, or better yet, crawl the rest of the way, right? Like, but I knew there was an end to this race, like, I the, the, the coordinators of this race, this half marathon, put a finish line somewhere, and I had confidence that, that 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 line was coming. In fact, I knew that that line wasn't too far ahead of me. I just had to get to 13.1 miles, and I would cross the finish line. All of a sudden, hope not a lot of hope, but a little bit of hope a little bit of hope started rising up, and I said. I think I could do this. I think it's just, just three more miles, just two more miles, just one more mile. I think I can do this. Hope began to birth in me the sense that this grueling run was coming to an end. This too shall pass. It was that hope that helped me cross that finish line. It, it, it was that hope that kept me running. Hope is a, is a powerful thing. Hope is a powerful thing when you have it, but when you don't, it's absolutely devastating. I wonder if you've ever felt hopeless in your life before. Like, really hopeless. Like not, not like, I'm having a crummy day. I could be having a better day. But like, a season in your life when, where all you seem to feel is just despair in a dark hole. Like, ho- hopelessness. Aren't those the moments when we say things like, Why should I go on anymore? Like What's the point? All hope is lost. Hope is dead. There's no no finish line. I'm in this perpetual cycle of just running in the dark. Why does any of this really matter? Why, why Why does this matter? You see, the greatest tactic of the enemy of your soul is to actually rob you of all hope. He knows that he's won if he can convince you that there is nothing to hope for. If he can thrust you into a place of hopelessness, he knows, I got it, I got you, I got you. But the greatest message of the Christian faith is that we have a living hope. Hope is alive even in the darkest of night. Listen to what John said. John said it this way in today's passage. In him, in Jesus, was life and the life was the light of men. Some other translations say it this way His life brought light to everyone, to all mankind. Christ brought light. In verse 5, it says this The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise God. Hallelujah for that. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not or, or, or cannot. Will not overcome it. Jump to verse 9. John goes on and he says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Isn't that the Christmas story right there? I mean, Jesus is referred to in scripture as the true light, the light of the world, the light of all mankind. And Jesus has come into the world to dispel all darkness, to push back on all hopelessness, to overthrow all despair. And to ultimately bring hope to all men. You want to know the hopeful message of Christmas in a nutshell? It's, this, it's, it's just summed up in this simple statement right here. The light is here. It'll all be okay. The light is here. So it'll all be okay. You feel like you're walking through the shadow of death and there's no end in sight? Listen, the light is here. It'll all be okay. You feel like you're in this dark tunnel, and all you've got, you've got like nothing but darkness, and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Like, we like to hear that, and we like to, you know, our friends like to chatter that in our ears. Just "Just stick with it. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And in your world, in your mind, you know you're looking through that tunnel, and you're like, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Everything in you is defying that. Friends, the Christmas message, the message of the Christian faith, not just December 25th, but all, the the entirety of our Christian life is summed up in this simple, simple statement. The light is here it will all be okay the light of the world is here it'll all be okay those dark ditches that you feel stuck in you feel like there's no way out of this hole the light is here it'll all be okay it'll all be okay god became man assures us of that reality that the light is here Therefore, it'll all be okay. Hope is alive even in the darkest of night. And lastly, we know that Christ's sacrifice was more than enough. Christ's sacrifice was more than enough. God becoming man was what was required and necessary to make us right with God. In other words, an unrighteous being cannot compensate with righteousness that's on par with God's righteousness. It's not possible, okay? Like, like, just let me put it this way for you. It's like, it's sort of like this. It's like, no matter how hard I try to play ball like Michael Jordan, I'll never be like Mike, like, I can, I can, I, you know, there was a song back in the day, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Like, back in the 90s, like, we used to sing, it all, every, every kid, like, would strap on their Jordans, and they would go out and be like, you know, I want to be like Mike, you know, it's just a fadeaway, and all these, and they're like, I want to be like Mike, and, and we, I, I sang that song, I want to be like Mike, but I know, look. I'm a five foot eight, five foot nine on a good day Asian dude who can't dunk a basketball. Okay, I got no shot. As much as I would like to think I want to be like Mike, I know I don't have it in me. Okay, I don't have it in me to be to to hoop like Mike, to be like Mike. I know I'm not gonna be like Mike. Just like I don't have it in me to play soccer in the World Cup. Anyone following the World Cup? Yeah, it's A couple of people, and yeah, someone that's not someone. Okay, listen. As much as I love, I look. I've I've tried playing soccer before, and I've hurt myself before, okay? I mean, I've, I've got two left feet that don't move in the direction that my brain tells it to move, and so as much as I'd like to think of myself as like, I'm capable, I don't have an enemy to play soccer at that level. By the way, the U.S. team fought hard. I don't know if you guys caught that, but that was a tough loss against the Netherlands. Good effort, though, by our boys. But, but, but like aside from, aside from basketball and soccer, all, all that to the side, spiritually speaking, friends, listen, You don't have it in you to get right with God by your own efforts. I don't have it in me to get right with God by my own efforts. None of us do. Not you, not me, none of us. Because think about it. How can we, who are completely unrighteous flawed, broken human beings, sin-ridden, how can we offer something that is on par with God's righteousness? Think about this. God is holy. God is perfect. He is infinite. He is good in every measure of the word, by every standard. And we are none of those things. We are unholy, imperfect, Finite human beings that on some days may be good. But good by every measure, by every standard, we're none of those things. We don't have what it takes to wipe away the stain and filth of our sins. And so what does God do? He doesn't banish us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't kick us to the curb and say, well, he does the very opposite. God became man that's why john says in verse 16 i love i love this just this little phrase here for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace we have all received grace upon grace we are all recipients of grace upon grace and on this final sunday i want to end our time by remembering that we are recipients of grace upon grace, that the fact that Jesus came as a man to dwell among us, he came in the flesh, was to pour out grace upon grace on our lives. And that's why we celebrate communion. That's what communion is about. In celebrating communion and partaking communion, we're remembering that God became man to ultimately take our place to absorb the wrath and the judgment that was meant for us. Jesus took it all on himself so that we might be made right with God. So that he can be the Jordan in us. So that he can be the Christian Pulisic in us. You know, like my man, he, he can be all of that in us. Like It's like he made, he made Christ to be nothing so that we can have everything. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's why we celebrate the broken body And the shed blood for us. And that's why we say. Christ's sacrifice was more than enough. Because he did for us what we can never do for ourselves. Because he took the perfect sacrifice. To meet the standards of perfect righteousness. And if we really understand what Christ has done for us. We can know with great confidence that hope is really alive. Hope is alive even in the darkest of night. And hope is made possible because we have a God who keeps every single one of His promises towards us. Amen? So at this time, I want to ask you. To...